You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Well, thank you. It's great. Uh, it, it's great to see everybody here today. And I'd just like to start out that. Uh, it's an honor to coach in, in the National Hockey League and, and serve in the National Hockey League. There's only 31 of us uh, at, at any given time, and it's, it's a demanding job, and they're very difficult jobs uh, to attain. So I certainly feel uh, privileged again to get a tremendous opportunity here. I'd like to thank David Poyle, the hockey, hockey ops staff, uh, Sean Henry, and the executive team for this opportunity and, and, and going through the process and, and, and believing in me. Uh, I certainly am very excited to get working with the players and the team. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the On the Four Check podcast. My name is Brian Bastin. I'm an editor at On the Four Check. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Rachel Dory. How are you doing today, Rachel? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. I've been re- looking forward to this for, for a while. Um, so, you know, not everybody who's listening may be familiar with, with your background, but uh, you've been in and around the sport of hockey your entire life. Did you want to kind of talk about that and some of the things that you've done? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I was born in Toronto, and the first thing I was wrapped in was a, a Leafs blanket. So I feel like it was a little bit of destiny, maybe, that I mm-hmm. found my way here. But um, yeah, I just kind of grew up actually not really playing hockey till I was a bit older, um, more consumed with uh, high-level gymnastics and soccer. So that was kind of that. I just really enjoyed watching hockey and um, memorizing stats, which my mom thought were it was useless until pretty recently when uh-huh. I got hired and then it wasn't so useless anymore. Right, definitely. Um so now she doesn't say that anymore, which is kind of funny. Uh-huh. Um yeah, the running joke used to be you can't remember to put your laundry away, but you can remember what Yannick Perot's face off stats yeah, are. Like, definitely. Yes, actually yeah. I can. It's a very special talent. Yes, exactly. So and then um just kind of went to school for sports business, worked for the Sudbury Wolves as uh, their video coach, mm-hmm. um, started writing for The Athletic, and that's where John and Ray Shiro found me. And and so when you say John, because I always get a kick out of this when we talk, you say John, you're speaking, of course, about uh, former New Jersey Devils head coach and current Predators coach, John Hines, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. And so I guess we can get started on on that and i think maybe some of the reason you know we we've started talking you and i um just tell us kind of about your experience working uh with the devils and working under uh, coach hines yeah honestly um it was kind of surreal just kind of getting hired and then um well they brought me down for like an interview process and i remember just i didn't really watch the devils um a whole lot like they were definitely a team i kept an eye on just because um i really like nico Heischer. I like him even mm-hmm. more now. Um, oh, definitely. But I was just really intrigued um, by their team because I knew they were young. Um, they had kind of like an odd ownership structure um, because ownership was really invested in analytics, but it didn't really seem like the Devils were. So it's kind of weird. Um, but I'd always kind of been intrigued. And then getting to meet John Hines and hearing how 
uh, he looks at things. And I think we probably sat in his office that first time for like a good hour and a half or two hours and just talked. That's awesome. Yeah, like philosophy and, and stuff like that. And I felt like once that happened and then I got hired the next day, which was actually Christmas Eve. Wow. Um, it, it was kind of just the building of a, a good relationship from there. And I always felt like um, myself and John Hines had a pretty good relationship um, as well as with Roly Melanson, who's also no longer with the team. Um, but yeah, it just kind of blossomed from there. Oh, and that's and that's awesome. And so, um, what you know, what position were you uh, hired for? Hired on for there with the Devils? So I was the analyst of player information and video, mm-hmm. which is just a really fancy way of saying we need a department that can do everything, right? And you will be that department. And so there were three of us in the department and it was everything from like providing scouts with stuff to scouting meetings, to coaching reports, to analytics, to video analysis, to John saying, Rachel, I need you to look into this and me sending him down the study that I would do. Like it was whatever coaching management or scouts needed was basically what we did. It was a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I can, I can definitely, it sounds like it. And, you know, I know that analytics is something that is kind of been slow to catch on, you know, like officially uh, for some teams, some teams have adopted it a little bit more easily and more openly than others. Um, but, you know, how did, you know, how was that as far as the analytics part of it? Um, how was that relationship with you bringing information like that to, to Coach Hines and, you know, how receptive was he to it? That's actually really interesting. So I read, I think it was in The Athletic, Corey Massasak wrote an article and he asked John about when kind of the use of analytics started to click. And he basically named about a month after I got hired. And from what I, from my conversations with John Hines, um, there was a bit of a disconnect and I'm was a, always a very firm believer in you can't just present a hockey coach with a bunch of numbers and expect them to know what to do with them right. because that's not how they coach. So I made it a point where whenever I was doing something for a coach, I would say, okay, what is the way that you understand this and how can I make what I'm trying to convey to you understandable on your terms? So it was about communicating differently with each coach. So what I would do is with John, he would ask for various reports and I would put together the full statistical report, but I would accompany it with video. So I would say, okay, like um, X players really good with passes to the slaughter. X players should play at the front of the net and this is why. And then I would also send a video package with that report so that he could see what I was talking about so that when he went to talk to the player and the player went, I don't know what that means. He had a video package to show them. So once that started happening, it almost became seamless because I could tell that he was sort of understanding um, how I operated and and what I was trying to provide for him. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that once that relationship had been built, he was really using some of the things that our department was suggesting. Right. And it was working. Yeah. And And so that's, that's kind of the more that happened. And then 
like just the more work we did, especially like with the goalie coach and everything, the more he would text me and say, Hey, I need this, or mm-hmm. I need a, a pregame, like a specialized pregame report from you the morning of every game that we play. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's awesome though. And that's, it's really good to hear because again, you know, one of the things is, you know, a lot of people, you're right. People don't want to see a bunch of numbers. Even some of us who are, you know, numbers geeks, it's it's still hard to take a bunch of information in and know what to do or, you know, how to make that into an actionable um, item. And so it's it's great to hear, you know, that, yeah, you're you're pairing video with it. And, you know, once you kind of break it down like that, people start to understand that, OK, yeah, you're giving me a lot of numbers, but it, this isn't really anything new. I mean, the the idea that being closer to the net when you take a shot is better is, you know, it's that's not anything that's really brand new in hockey. Um but, you know, when he after he was hired and he talked about, um, you know, really wanting to put a focus on shot quality in Nashville. I mean, I just my heart was so happy at that moment because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's just, you know, it's not a it's not really a big thing. But it's just the fact that he acknowledged it is like, yeah, that's that's so great. You know, it's so such a big difference, I think, from from the previous coach that uh, it's it's exciting. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about some of the things that you did, especially with with analytics, but. Um, how would you describe kind of his overall coaching strategy? Because, you know, Nashville fans are coming off of years and years of, of Peter Laviolette and um, Barry Trotz. <laughs> yeah. And you could, I mean, I mean, Laviolette more so, I think maybe than Trotz, but you could figure out, you can figure out what Laviolette system was pretty quickly because, and he would never change it. So you just kind of, you know, that's what you stuck with. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about Heinz and, and what he, his philosophy is uh, coaching wise. Yeah, I would say it's interesting you brought up shot quality because that was something that him and I talked extensively about well, to the point you. where it was he didn't outright ask for it, but he certainly implied and it was something I started to do and it's I'm I'm now using it for my research instead. Um mm-hmm. building a a shot quality like build up model for him. Mm-hmm. Um something that's like easily trackable and you just plug in the numbers and it gives you the outputs of what you should expect um so it was something he was definitely really interested in and a lot of our conversations definitely centered around um different things related to shot quality but i would say in terms of coaching strategy um he is easily one of the more um adjustable coaches i've i've worked with so Mm -hmm. you just talked about how peter laviolette's pretty set in his ways Um, And that's kind of how I came in expecting things to be, but it just, it wasn't that way. And and I felt like once I earned John's trust, um, he was really open to different things. Like I would suggest some really out of the box things and he would come and he would have questions and he would poke holes in it. And that was something I really appreciated because I always appreciate when people are like, Hey, well, what about this? Or have you thought about it from this? Or I can't play that player here because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. Well, I didn't know that because I'm not coaching the team. (laughs) Right. But he would take some of the things that I gave him and he would be willing to use them. So he's very much a, if this can help me, why would I not use it? And so right. it's not like I'm set in my ways. There are definitely some things that he's set in his ways about um, in terms of what he expects in the defensive zone, um, what he expects just in terms of your ability to recover loose pucks, how like 
how competitive you are and like your drive to the middle of the ice. He mm. doesn't like perimeter players. And I don't really know of a <laughs> hockey coach that does. Right. Um, but that's one of those things where he, it's very much like we have to play together as a unit that it's not an individual thing. Right. Um, but I think that his ability to adjust as a coach and to take things that he learns and apply them, I think is more innovative than maybe um, some other coaches. And that's, yeah, that's, I mean, it's really interesting to see because I think it's, it's a very different situation from when he uh, left New Jersey, then coming into Nashville. Cause the teams are very different, I guess, in their style and their makeup. Yes, he has then, a great defensive core in Nashville. <laughs> yes. Um, for better or for worse. Yeah. He's, he's got that. And um, you know, even after he, he started and then the season stopped and the, went into the playoffs, I mean, the team, the roster is going to look completely different and we'll get a little bit more into that later, but um, you know, yeah, he's at least got a core of players, I think. And you could tell after with free agency, the seven or eight players that kind of stayed behind that were going to be really touched. He's got that to work with. Um, you know, do you see, do you see him kind of still working to implement his system in with Nashville? Because I think by the time the playoffs started or the qualifying round started, he had said that the system was fully implemented with the team, which seems quick, but I'm, I'm not sure. The one thing about John, I'll say, is it's not so much a system as like, this is how we're going to break out. Every You need to skate here and you need to skate here and you need to skate here. John has like pillars of his system and it allows and inspires creativity within his players. And I think players really appreciate that because he just says, okay, uh, when we're in the neutral zone four check, we need to have um, one guy in the middle or like two guys pressuring the puck lanes. Right. right. So he doesn't say where you have to be mm -hmm. or in the offensive zone, he they'll play a certain style. And I don't know what that style is in Nashville, but uh, he'll adjust it accordingly. But he'll say we have to play this style, whether it's right. like a one man high or it's a full pressure. You're playing a press like uh, you're playing east, west. It all depends. But he'll give the team pillars and then he'll let them play within the context of that. Right. So it's one of those things where it really inspires the creativity within players. And that's really good for player development, especially for young players, because you want them thinking. It's not like you don't mm -hmm. want robots because that's too easy to read. Right. Um, and so I think that that's something with John where it's less about this player must be here and we're making this pass and this and that. It's more of, I expect two players to be here or I expect pressure here and then the follow-up to be here. Right. So he allows players to kind of play within the context of his, what he calls pillars. And yeah. I think that's a better way of going about things. I know of a few coaches that do that, um, that have had some really good success. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting to look because again, you know, I think, you know, Coach Hines had had Taylor Hall when when um you know in his, in his best year of his career and he's not walking into a situation in Nashville where he has a really super talented forward like that um you know one of the things that's always kind of been interesting to me with Nashville is you know their their franchise record for goals in a single season is thirty four and that happened just two years ago by Victor Arvidsson and <laughs> yeah not the guy you'd expect. No, uh, I mean, Philip Forsberg's only a couple of goals behind, I think. Right. But, but yeah, um, like I think still... just just to kind of like finish up on that thought, um, I'm not totally surprised that he said the system was implemented just because he was probably talking about the pillars. Right. But I would say 
with a full training camp, you could probably expect to see some more creativity. And I mean, just kind of looking at the roster, I wouldn't surprise me if one of the pillars was playing through the D just because of the amount of talent that Nashville has on the back end. Right. Um, that's not something John's ever had. Yeah. I, I can imagine that walking into a situation with, with Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, there's your first pair has got to be, you know, kind of like Christmas. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, I, I will say that recently the, all that talent can also come at, at a price because then, you know, they will, coaches have wanted to force everything through those defensive players and even the power play. It took until towards the uh, end of the season prior that Laviolette finally started um, having four forward power play units. I mean, he wanted to have both units with two defensemen on it, which again, you think Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis. Great. I mean, Roman Yossi can basically be a forward if he wants to, but he never really played it like that. They'd have him at them out on the perimeter and they'd spend, I don't know, a good minute and a half of that two minutes just passing it back and forth from, you know, from the top of the point. Yeah, so, I would say that my top power play unit is probably one defenseman with Roman Yossi. Um, mm-hmm. And I would probably have Philip Forsberg either like kind of playing the Taylor Hall role mm-hmm. um, just because I think they're similar from that perspective. But on my second unit, I actually might try um, the 2D. And the 2D I would probably use are uh, obviously Ryan Ellis, because I think he's got a great shot. But Dante Fabro, I would yeah. I would try that. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to work immediately. The kid right. is very young. Very but young. I think when you look at what Nashville's strengths are, and it's important to point out, you can't just play four forwards on the power play because that's what everyone else is doing. You have to play to your team's strengths. Right. And so Nashville's strength is clearly on the back end, where if you look at a team like Toronto, let's say, it is very clearly the forwards. Right. And so it would make less than zero sense to be playing 2D on the power play. I'm not even sure they have 2D that can play on the power play, quite frankly. Whereas in Nashville, I might take advantage of the fact that my D are so creative and they're up in the play and they're involved. So I think it wouldn't surprise me if John played... um, one unit with Roman Yossi and four forwards and then a second unit with uh 2D. Yeah, I think we did see a little bit of that um last season. I think the first unit was almost pretty set between both Lavillette and Hines that with with Yossi and then Forsberg, Johansson, Duchesne, and Arvidsson, which on paper should be pretty great. Um and we didn't we saw a little bit of improvement, but you know, for Nashville, improving on the power play means going from 30th to like 24th. So um, we're we're making it. We're going up. Uh, <laughs> I hope John but, kept all of that power play stuff that I did for him in New yeah. Jersey because it could really help him right now. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's some of it's just you can tell how much of it is these players. Some of these players have played for Laviolette for so long, and they're trying to knock some of that out of their system. Of you know, we're just going to pass and we're going to not make any. I mean, you watch, and for me, I was watching the power play about a year ago um, during the off season, trying to kind of figure out what was going on. And you just see like three players not moving. They would just kind of sit in their predetermined spots and just wait. And <laughs> it drove me nuts. And we saw um, improvement on that when they uh, hired uh, one of the assistant coaches. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head now, which is bad, but um, to, to finally come in and take over the, the power play under La Violette. And it, it improved somewhat, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see, that same at least top unit and then 
maybe yeah like you said a, a two defenseman three forward second unit because the second unit was not there wasn't really much there last I year i also want to point out that i really wouldn't be shocked if phil tomasino was playing on the team next year in a legitimate yeah. role because yeah, that's it. <laughs> philip tomasino is exactly the player that john hines likes uh-huh and i watched him um play in oshawa a bunch this year he's mm-hmm. fantastic he and is really for good for a team that's dying for offense that is exactly the the type of player they can bring in and and he can have an impact yeah and that's interesting you say that because you know the uh, earlier earlier this season i i, I wrote about the fact that Nashville seemed to ha- seem to have Tomasino in their in, in their plans early, early. Um, not just you know talking about him when he was traded from Niagara to to Oshawa, but that he almost you know he almost made a camp last season and stayed in Nashville. Which you know I think if you had told me that you know right after the draft and right as the season started, I was like, no, I don't know. But I mean, I think the organization's you know absolutely in love with him as a player, and he's he, you know a hundred point season in a shortened season is impressive and um i think the last 100 point ohl score that they had was uh, some kid named ryan ellis and he turned out all right so yeah, he's um, not terrible no it is crazy to think about ryan ellis scoring 100 points um he was so good in the ohl it was hilarious yeah it was absolutely of, hilarious it would have been great to see him and him and taylor hall back together again um, yeah that still might happen yeah i think it will too uh, i was gonna we'll, i'll bring that up a little bit later too but i still think it's gonna happen eventually um so, you know, speaking then about the draft and, and we'll maybe circle back on the Tomasino thing, but um, from, from what I hear, he's not as involved with the draft process, I think. And I think this may be a universal thing. It may not just be him. Yeah, that's but... not really a <laughs> – um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty common. Coaches right. are just like, give me the players and I'll do things. Sometimes they have requests, but that's more mm-hmm. like trade deadline related. Right. Um, whereas like with the draft – unless it's like a top five pick no <laughs> yeah i mean i think the even if, if he did have any influence on this draft i mean he might have said something about the the selection of askarov but i mean again we're not going to see askarov in the nhl for at least three four years so oh, i disagree on that well i'm, I'm being i'm being conservative Let's yeah you're being way. very conservative i could see him playing in the nhl in two years and being a starter in three <laughs> I think so too. I mean, <laughs> I think with Rene being, I think Rene's contract is up next, the end of this season, and I think he's going to retire. Um, he's been fairly open about, you know, being willing to kind of make this transition from from him to UC Soros, and at the end, with the end of the season, they they split time pretty much right down the middle, and then Rene didn't play any games in the in the qualifying round. So, um, but Nashville is also very lucky that last offseason they they got Connor Ingram from Tampa Bay for a seventh round pick and. He became like he was the best goaltender in the AH- AHL next year or last season, and um, they've got him for three more years on his entry level deal, and so they have a backup already that, you know, sitting in Milwaukee, they're going to give him most of the starts, and he could come in and give UC Soros a pretty good, uh, you know, battle in, in camp for uh, get, getting time. So it's it's nice to have depth there because there really wasn't anything before Ingram came on last season. There wasn't anything to write home about there, but. Um, yeah. So, you, you know, again, you said he doesn't really do a lot with the draft. A lot of these players he may not see for a long time. Um, what about as far as you said, free agency and trades, um, how, you know, 
did you think that some of the free agents signings that he made this this offseason were guys that you know seemed like his type uh yeah I was pretty surprised that uh they let Craig Smith go because based on what I know um Mm-hmm. He kind of fits perfectly into into a John mold. Right. Um, I think that may have been more related to what Craig Smith wanted than anything. Um, but mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised by that. I think the additions of uh, Borvietsky, uh was, was a good one. Right. Um, I liked that they brought in Luke Cunnan. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was good. The Brad Richardson um, signing. I think that he's really underrated. Um and so I think that he could be um, kind of like their 3-4 center. He's one of the best penalty killers in the entire league. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really liked that signing. I remember that coming across and being like, oh, yes, this is good. Yeah. Um, Like, they're thin up front, which is why I think that Phil Tomasino is likely playing uh, next I th- year. I do too. Um, yeah, but the back end, like, you look at the top four – there's you're going to be hard pressed to find a better top four in the NHL. Right. Um, and I like like the Borvietsky signing. Great. Matt Benning. I don't love him, but serviceable number six defenseman. Like, right. He's not going to be the guy that you have to play 20 minutes and you don't need to because you can cart out Yossi Ellis at home and Fabro for probably 48 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean that's that's about right. I mean Yossi was he was getting a ton of time towards the end of last season, which for good reason. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I would, think I would uh, I wouldn't be. Listen, as far as Nick Cousins is concerned, I liked how he played in Vegas. I just mm-hmm. will reserve the office commentary. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I understand not that. Great. Um, mm-hmm. but as a hockey player, he's fine. Yeah. Right. And that's really like, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. That's what they're evaluating on. Right. Um, and so I think he fits fine. He's probably a third line guy, maybe a fourth line guy, depending. I think so. Um, yeah, like I could see a fourth line that consisted of like Nick Cousins, Colton Sissons, and either Brad Richardson or Callie Yarncrock, something like yeah. that. Yeah. That's funny because we did uh, we we recorded an episode last night and I think that was the the fourth line like the exact fourth line combination that I suggested was because that's that's what you want I mean there's not going to be guys that are going to get a ton of minutes but that's a good solid line of of guys that you can get there you can rely on them a little bit defensively you're not really expecting them to go out there and score but they're also not going to be a, a liability and so um, yeah and, and these signings you know these are guys that they they fill a role again in the, in the back end they're they're going to be bottom pair bottom six players um you know especially the, the defensemen that were signed i don't they'd be hard pressed to be worse than what the third pair was last season and so i'm happy with that i think it's they are both improvements and um you know again that you saw just the amount of turnover i think nine nine free agents left this this off season and so there was a lot of of um replacing to do and you know, this brings me to back circle back to the draft and, and these free agents for a second. But, you know, I've I've for the last couple of months, I've kind of been advocating that that this next season needs to be a, a little bit of a reset year. I'm not going to say rebuilding because I don't think that's where this team is at. Um, but, you know, this is a good time to get some of the younger players like 
Tomasino or Ellie Tolvin in, um, Jeremy Davies on defense, get them a little bit more time than I think you would if you still thought of yourself as a contending team. And, you know, with them having the 11th overall pick, they had two picks in the second and the two picks in the third. I thought this would be, this is a great year to, to, you know, address some of these needs, really plan out for the future. And while the free agents, they did sign, um, they think they checked off the list of getting some of those role player types filled. I don't really, I mean, they have still have around $13 million in cap space and the draft kind of puzzled me because it didn't seem to really agree with the rest of that strategy. I mean, what, what did you think about the draft first, first and foremost? Um, be honest. It's okay. Okay. The only positive part of their draft was Askarov. Mm-hmm. I would say I don't mind the Evangelista pick. I like Luke Evangelista and London obviously has a long history of developing fantastic hockey players so i think he probably turns out to be a a contributing bottom six maybe middle six kind of guy for nashville askarov is a home run like that is i i will not even have a debate about it like it's not even close to a discussion i would have taken him higher but that's me the rest of the draft it kind of okay i love the name gunner wolf fontaine he plays in chicago and i think they i don't think they have a great development system mm-hmm. and so i think both him and luke reed have a chance to develop into like ahl kind of call-up players just because they're playing in chicago and they're gonna get that really good development right um it's probably not the best sign that i don't really know about anybody else <laughs> yeah i mean they it started kind of early uh eric who who covers our does all of our prospect work and he watches film just constantly i mean he and he had a you know a top what i think 200 something players and it was i think it was like the fourth or fifth round and he started like he's like nashville's taking guys that are, aren't even in my top 200 and there's still guys in his top 60 that were there and he's like well, i don't know what's going on and yeah you like, know okay it felt like they were panicked almost so there's a couple things elite prospects like jd gave nashville an f which i thought was a little bit harsh because anytime you get a starting goaltender i feel like you deserve a little bit more than an f (laughs) right um luke evangelista i actually think like i said could be a middle six guy and the reason i think this is because the one thing he really needs to improve on is his skating which is bar none the easiest thing to improve like you just go to a skating coach and like that's it um but he's really smart with the puck he's he's a great playmaker always seems to find his teammates defensively super sound like stripping guys of pucks he honestly a little bit reminded me of mark stone in terms of his ability to just like take the puck away from people obviously Mm -hmm. not that good but like along those lines so i think they have something there but like the rest of it I thought that there were, well, not even I thought, there were definitely other players that were available that could have been taken. But I think that this year was so weird because a lot of times um, you get a lot of viewings in at the end of the year and you're going out and you're looking for like your late round guys and other guys seem to pop up. And obviously we didn't have that this year, thanks COVID. Um and so I felt like it was almost like Nashville basically looked at the overagers from last year and was like, hmm, 
who can we pick? And so for me, it was it was a little bit surprising. Now that's not to say these guys might not develop. Um, they did draft three defensemen, and Nashville does have a history of pumping out some pretty good defensemen. So I think right. it's, it's pretty hard to judge. I just think that there were better players available. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I love the Askarov pick, and I really, I thought that was about the range Evangelista was going to go in. And right. so I, I really didn't have a problem with that pick. I, I think he's going to be a contributing player to the Preds. The rest, I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 I pretty much can agree with that. I think um, a lot of it, I think they went into the draft, I, you know, just they had their target set and they knew who they wanted. And I think for them, all they really worried about was making sure Minnesota at nine didn't pick him. Because I, you know, I think they mentioned several times that they they thought about moving up to eight. And, and I think that kind of was the whole draft strategy. But then you saw a player like Marco Rossi fall. Somebody I didn't think should go past fourth and yeah, fall uh, down. And it was, it was I knew um, the second that Mark, well, the second that Buffalo took Jack Quinn, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, if we were at a real draft, Judd Brackett would have pulled a hamstring getting to the stage to draft Marco Rossi. Mm-hmm. Like, the se- I kind of thought that Minnesota was high on Askarov, but as soon as Rossi got to nine, I was like, I could put $10,000 on Minnesota taking Marco Rossi right now, and I would win. Yeah. Like, it was that. And I knew that um, the team at 10, I forget who picked Winnipeg. 10. Winnipeg. I knew they weren't going to take As- uh, Askarov because no, right. Perfetti was still there. And when, like, Winnipeg's very much best player available. Like, so they took Perfetti, which means, like, I knew Nashville was taking Askarov. That was like, yeah, it was kind of it was decided. And the, the hard part was is I saw I saw Rossi fall, and I was like, that's that's great, you know, like because other forwards are gonna fall, you know, they're gonna be the whole board is gonna get pushed because of things like that. And then, you know, it was tough because by the time it got to Nashville, all of a sudden there were four guys, you know, starting around pick six, four forwards that I was really high on, I really liked, and they were all available and. I was just really, really excited about it. And then again, they, I've, I've come around on, I'm not nearly as, um, you know, upset, I guess, just cause I'm now I'm a little bit more informed on it, but, uh, you know, it's a great pick, but, you know, having, having Anton Lundell and Seth Jarvis and, and Caden Gould, it just, I mean, just these Dawson Mercer, this is all these guys that were taken, you know, seven, eight picks after, um, you know, it. I, I was. They had a strategy, and I will respect the fact that they they stuck to that. And it's a good pick that's going to turn out very, very well. I think. You know, like you said. But then, as they got down to their next picks, first they they traded away one of their second round picks um, as part of the sending Nick Benino to to Minnesota. Right. And, but yeah, it was one of those where they had so many good players available, like really good guys that fell, and they just went in another direction and it was kind of it really was baffling i think i will say this uh i would have taken askarov over every single player you just named Mm -hmm. um i probably like it would not surprise me if askarov ends up as like the second or third best player in this draft like it just really wouldn't Um, oh yeah i think think everybody recognizes that the talent yeah and so you're drafting for for potential at that point i am very much against taking the stay-at-home defenseman or the player that will play in your middle six with a top 10 pick. 
or even right. like a top 15 pick like to me that seems crazy mm-hmm. um and as soon as it got to 11 i in my head i was basically like if they don't take escar off like that's an error yeah right and to yeah, me like i think, I think so. anton lundell yes like that's but he's your typical like nashville type of player and nashville already has enough of that right. yeah i guess so and so i think that askarov is going to be someone that preds fans look back on and say okay yeah like this is they did not screw up this pick but yeah like i would not i would not have taken anyone that you named over askarov i would not have taken i probably if i was ottawa i probably would have taken askarov at five I thought they were. I thought that was a, there was a chance of that too. And I, I mean, they they were set up for so much success um, with their draft, and uh, yeah, they kind of just fumbled it. <laughs> um, yeah, didn't go my, so great. No, but yeah. So again, I think part of me was I didn't think that Nashville would have a pick this high, and you know, while they did really really well to hit on on Tomasino last season, you know, this this prospect um pool doesn't have a lot of like flash like guys that you think can be a high impact like their ceiling is playing on the top line um and so part of me was just the disappointed thinking that you know we might be able to get somebody that can do that and it's not going to be totally reliant on philip forsberg to carry to carry a top six and um but it it makes a lot of sense it's the best long-term decision you know there is always the risk of you just never know how goalies will will develop but i mean he's he's pretty close to being a sure thing i think and so um it makes a lot of sense and again i am i'm not upset with it at all yeah i mean to me we're we're having a conversation i think in in five years that he might be better than vasilevsky and so like i when you look at how valuable vasilevsky is to tampa Mm -hmm. i don't to me it's more valuable to have a superstar goaltender than pretty much anything else because yeah. if you you flat out cannot win without goaltending like it just you can't oh trust me that's, that's something that we're very uh very familiar with in nashville i think that yeah. many careers were extended because of goaltending bailing a team out so um, uh yes and coaches kept their jobs as well mm-hmm. yeah and you can thank pekka Rene for that <laughs> yes, and he's going to have to retire with you know from all these years of carrying that's this team on his back with and going out in a season like this next one's going to be. So it's it's hard to watch, but I mean you know you at least they've got it they've got plenty now. I mean you have Soros who's now basically the starter. You have Ingram who's ready to come in and split time. You know even if even if you know you could play him more than that and still be good with it. And then having um, Askarov, it's you know, you're sitting with a luxury right now. So, I mean, I think that was uh, in the rankings last yesterday in, in the athletic of, of goaltending prospects, you know, Nashville had number one and number four. So that's, that's a good sign. Um, so speaking of, of draft picks and things like that, can you tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, developing some of these players, especially forwards? Cause like you said, Nashville has no issue with their defensemen. They almost often come up with too many defensemen and they end up trading them away. Um, but how, how, you know, developing young players, like say you get a Tomasino coming in or Ellie Tolvin and, you know, what's, what's Heinz, you know, philosophy and working with young guys like that? I think it's, you have to put these players in a position to succeed. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
it's what like it's was it maybe it was the Nico Heisher yeah it it was all about okay where is Nico gonna succeed because if we just throw him to the wolves like they did with Pavel Zaka Mm -hmm. it didn't go very well right and so the philosophy there is uh, John has expectations of what he wants out of his team in terms of how you have to play so if you're not going to battle for pucks, if you're going to be a passenger in your own end and that kind of thing, like you're just not going to play. Right. Right. But if you're a player like Tomasino or Tolvanen and you're creative and you can score and you can be an impact player, John is very much like I would say he's a player's coach. He right. wants his guys to succeed, but he's not going to just give you unlimited rope. Like you've got to earn it. Right. Nico right. Heischer just didn't get the right to play with Taylor Hall. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not how that happened. And I think that it's very much about putting the players in a situation that they're comfortable, but they're not too comfortable. So like, yes, right. we're going to allow you to play on the power play. We're going to allow you to play with Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne, whomever, but we still expect this. Right. Like you can't get complacent. And John knows that you there's a, a fine balance between overplaying and underplaying a player. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're not ready, like you saw in New Jersey with Michael McLeod, kid just yeah. wasn't ready. And it would have been unfair to just bring him up and shove him in the top six. Right. He's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. And he might never be. Like we don't know. But he's very much of the mindset that you can't just throw them in the deep end with sharks and expect them to survive if they don't know how to swim. Right. So and, I don't and think you're going to see a whole lot of like just throwing guys out there just for the sake of doing it. It's mm-hmm. going to be very methodical. So it might be frustrating that maybe Tomasino sits out a game or maybe he's taken off the power play at some point, but maybe it's because they want to use him in different situations. There's also the whole hitting the wall thing. And I don't care what anyone says, on the Twitterverse, it absolutely is a is something that happens. Young players right. are not used, especially ones that come in from like the NCAA. Like they play maybe 30, 35 games a year, or something like that. You're talking about 82 game season. Like mm-hmm. that's like one and a half times the amount. And we saw that. I mean, when when they finally got Fabro signed, uh, he had just finished his college season. And then they they signed him and brought him into Nashville towards the end of that the you know, two seasons ago, and you know I think I'm glad that they got him signed, um, but immediately put him in. He played like 12 or 13 games, burned the year of his ELC, and made him available for the Seattle draft, um, and played in the playoffs. And you could just tell that he looked he hit the wall exactly like you said. And I think last year was a pretty good example of making that adjustment from you know being the top guy in college and then. All of a sudden, you're on a second pair with Matthias Ekholm, and you know you're facing off against other top lines. It's it's it takes some growing pains. Yeah, it's it's unfair, and and John is really aware of this. It's unfair to expect a young player who isn't an Alexi Lafreniere, a Byfield, a Nico Heischer, right, to come in and immediately be able to play 82 games at a very high level. Mm-hmm. Like you're, it's just not reasonable to think that. And not to mention the fact, like, a bunch of these kids, even if they're playing junior, so Tomasino, 
It's playing mm-hmm. against 16-year-olds sometimes, maybe 17, 18-year-olds. Now you're playing against men, like mm-hmm. real men. Yeah, big guys. Right, and even for Tolvanen, yeah, he's playing overseas and whatever. It's not the same, especially in the Western Conference. Like, you look right. at the Central, there's a vast difference between playing in Liga and then playing against Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Like, it's not the same. Uh-huh. And I think that's when one thing, because I think Nashville fans got glimpses of, of Tolvanen uh, specifically and you know what he did in World Juniors and what he was doing in the KHL and just got these visions of, oh, we're going to have this this Patrick Laine, you know, Ovechkin yeah, type guy. I mean, yeah, in a way. I mean, he's got a, his shot is insane. I mean, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But, but it, they, you know, people started being like, eh, it just seems like he's not developing. I'm like, no, he's developing right about the pace that he should. I mean, he it, he's had a little bit of time to get acclimated in, in the AHL, but he's also developed into a much more rounded player. You know, people are like, well, he's not scoring that many goals. He should be t- scoring a ton of goals in the AHL. Like, yeah, but that's probably not what they're working on with him, you know, right now. Because you can do that all day, but we don't want a player that the only thing that they're good at is shooting and, you know, you want somebody who needs to be in the top six, then he needs to be able to play some defense. He needs to be able to carry the puck and, and transition. So if there is one thing that John Hines is not going to allow. It's having a guy that's just like talented enough to score all the time and not do anything else. Like there were multiple conversations with multiple members of the New Jersey Devils and multiple prospects basically saying, I get you're really good and you could be a star with this. But if you can't do anything else, you're not playing. Like, I don't mm-hmm. care. Right. And yeah. so if you notice, like Kyle Palmieri, he can score, but he right. also, at least the year I was there where we made the playoffs, like much better defensively than he used to be. I mm-hmm. would say that he fell off now uh, defensively. Right. But John is not going to allow Tolvanen to come in and only score goals and be a passenger everywhere else. Like flat out just will not happen. And I don't think any hockey coach should allow that. I don't care if you could score. Like Alex Ovechkin didn't win a Stanley Cup until he learned how to contribute in other areas of the ring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's your best example. And no one on earth is a better goal scorer than Alex Ovechkin. So if right. he has to do it, then so do you. Mm-hmm. And and that's and it's it's encouraging, I guess, to 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 see because, you know, I think that with with again, going back to Laviolette, I think he would get players in his he'd have the system, he would have a philosophy. And when players would come in from outside, so when Poyle decided to start bringing in more guys, like like signing a trading for a PK Subban, or um, you know attempting to get Matt Duchesne and ending up with Kyle Turris, and then getting Duchesne and and Nick Benino, I think that the philosophy was well, Lavi's like I have this system and I'm going to make these players you give me fit, and he was going to you know shove those round pegs into a square hole, um, and so you see. It just it, it made sense why they just never some of these guys just never really developed like that because they had roles for them but it was never a you know some of these guys were just yeah if you're good at this thing we're going to have you do this thing and that's it and so it's good to hear that you know with Hines being somebody who wants a complete a complete player you know a well rounded player you know we don't want to always rely on Roman Yossi carrying the puck in and out of the zone now granted it's hard not to because he's so good at it but. You know, you want somebody who like Philip Forsberg, who is developed into a really good, in my opinion, a really good two-way player. Um, yeah, you've got to be able, it's it's all about the context of like, yes, you have this special talent, but what are you doing to make the team better? How are you making the players you play with better? Right. And 
and that was definitely a conversation that was had with Taylor Hall. And what was he doing to make his teammates better? Well, just like it showed he won the Hart Trophy. So right, it's one of those things where like, yeah, Taylor had a 26 or 27 game point streak, which was absurd. Right. Um, But it's also one of those things where he was doing other things like much better defensively in his own zone throughout that run as well. And because he was not a passenger in his own end, he was able to get the puck more on his stick, spend more time in the offensive zone, and then lo and behold, score a bunch of points. Yeah. And since since we brought you know, you brought him up, I guess this is we can talk about it. So I think we said earlier that I don't think um I know that that Taylor Hall is is a is a favorite of of Coach Hines. And so um, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and, and talk a little bit more about that. And so, yeah, we'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, and we're back. Um, so wanted to talk Taylor Hall. Now I know that there's there's we gotta we're gonna be careful about how we approach this, but I think you know, with with the amount of cap space Nashville's left with and and David Poyle saying yesterday that you know, they're pretty happy with what the roster looks like. I mean, I think happy is a relative term, but, um, you know, so they may not be going after a Mike Hoffman or anything like now. And I, I kind of like the idea of having the space to work with so, you know, they can work on something at the deadline or next offseason because, again, Taylor Hall is going to be available next offseason. And so say that goes through and happens and and Hines gets, you know, one of his guys like Taylor Hall in, in Nashville. How do you envision him fitting in? with this with his team currently um okay well hold on mike hoffman said publicly that he'd be willing to take a one-year deal and Mm -hmm. if i'm nashville i'm looking long and hard at that because if he only wants a one-year deal you have like 12 odd million dollars in projected cap space like that's definitely something i think would be worthwhile for them on a one-year deal oh yeah i mean Um, i would have said hall at hall i would have paid hall probably nine on a one-year deal if that's what he wanted but um but as far as taylor hall goes Oh, he would look so good in Nashville. Like, <laughs> yeah, the fit, first of all, he would have D that can pass him the puck. A truly yep. a novel concept. Right. He wouldn't have to do everything himself. Like, it's just incredible. Um, Then you add in the fact that he's got an excellent relationship with John Hines. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest reasons he went to Buffalo was because of his relationship with Ralph Kruger. Right. And I mean, I saw firsthand, obviously, what that relationship looked like with uh, Coach Hines. And right. it's very much a thing. And so I think that from that perspective, Hall knows what 
Heinz coaching style is, Hall would recognize that he would actually have facilitators in Nashville and he wouldn't have to quarterback the power play because that's what he was doing in New Jersey because he didn't really have another option. He also knows that they're a team starving for offense because basically outside of Philip Forsberg and sometimes Victor Arvidsson, there isn't a whole lot going on, Mm -mm. right? No. And so I think he could go and he's proven that he can play with a player that isn't necessarily all offense all the time in Nico Heischer. Nico Heischer is very much that two-way Pavel Datsuk with obviously less skill type of player. And so Taylor has proven he can play in that type of situation. So I think a team like Nashville, where that's very much the case, um, at least up front, it would allow him to thrive. It would also have a two-headed monster threat with Philip Forsberg. Right. Um, that I think would be pretty crucial because now you're looking at, okay, we don't just have to defend one line. We've got to defend two. Right. Definitely. Whichever player gets the secondary matchup, like they're going to feast off of that. So Mm -hmm. they're both, it's going to be mutually beneficial. And so I could see Taylor Hall going to Buffalo, whether he has success or not, either way, maybe he resigns in Buffalo because of Ralph Kruger, but if he doesn't resign, I could see Nashville going really hard at him. A, they have the cap space, and B, it's definitely something that he would be interested in just because of the previous relationship and how he would fit in Nashville. Like He's immediately on their top power play unit. He's Mm -hmm. expected to be a go-to guy for offensive contribution. Um, You can put him with a guy where he's not necessarily expected to be huge on defense. Like There's a lot there in Nashville that I think Taylor Hall would fit in well with and I think when you tack on the fact that John Hines is the coach there and knows what makes Taylor Hall click like it's pretty hard to ignore yeah I'll say that I think it was a smart uh, a smart move because I know no like well most people were pretty surprised by by him going to Buffalo um you know but it makes a lot of sense you know he's gonna he wanted a long-term deal and there weren't that many teams that were willing to give it or if any and so he hedged his bets and said, I'm going to go score a ton of points with, with Eichel and, uh, you know, try again next year. And I think that was a, probably a smart choice. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised because I think that they made all of this cap space, you know, they bought out Kyle Turris, they traded Benino, um, let Granlund and Smith go, um, and to make all this space. And I thought it was basically, excuse the pun, but like Taylor fit for, hall to come in and so i was a little surprised you know because i thought uh, they didn't i know they didn't want anything longer than three years but you know they had plenty of space and unless they're working with an internal cap which i can see maybe now with the way things are going but why that was you know one year eight million was the the offer that won out i mean if i thought if nashville really wanted him they would have gotten him but it's a smart move by by hall i think to, to kind of let his value go up over next you know next season and try again because he'll be back on the market again yeah 100 percent, i agree and there's definitely going to be suitors and not to mention seattle yeah um where there's definitely going to be opportunity there that could be something that intrigues him um but yeah there's definitely at least for my money there's a fit in nashville and then selfishly i would like to see that because then when i go watch nashville play i can see both of them yeah yeah (laughs) definitely that'd be great and uh yeah, it's it's it, you know the funny thing about Seattle is I've been worried about that expansion draft and and I've written things about it, 
But with the way this roster is turned over, I'm sitting here going, do they have eight guys they want to protect? Like, maybe, I guess so. You know, it's like, I guess they can now keep their top four forwards and their top four defensemen and be fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's mean, funny how that quickly that turns around because I yeah, didn't you're expect gonna protect, Smith to go. You're definitely going to protect Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm, and Fabro. That part is not up for mm-hmm. debate. Um, and then you're probably going to, pre- well, not probably, you're protecting Philip Forsberg. Yep. Uh, you're protecting Victor Arvidsson. Maybe. More than likely. I More than likely, yes. I would not be in a hurry to be protecting either of Johansson or Duchesne. Yeah, that's curious. Um, I think Duchesne... I would, his, yeah, Luke his, Cunning, no, his, mm-hmm. you're going to protect. And then I don't know if any of their young kids, like if Tolvanen... Tomasino no, won't have to be protected. But yeah, like not a whole lot going on there. Yeah, and so that's what will be interesting because now it's at the point where are they going to try to shed another big contract with that and not protect – You know, I can see them not protecting Johansson. I don't know what Hines thinks of Johansson, um, which is (laughs) – You know what I can see them doing though? I can see them because they technically – let's call it what it is. They have an extra protection spot. Like they Mm -hmm. ideally would like to expose those players. I could see them pushing the screws to teams who have too many players – that they don't want to lose for free and maybe making a trade with Nashville. So maybe Nashville gets a really, really good player that they can obviously then protect and and have for their team and and maybe not send as much back as one would think. Yeah, that's not I could a bad see them idea. taking advantage of teams like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's gonna be interesting to to watch and and see how that goes. Cause I think also teams are gonna be very weary um after, you know, they all everybody says that, you know, Vegas they you know, they stole all the, no, they, Vegas did exactly what they were supposed to do. They planned ahead and they knew what other GMs were like. And then they took advantage of it. Like you, like a good, you know, good team should coming into something like that. So uh, it'll be, it'll be cool to see. So a couple more things I want to hit on before we, we wrap up. I, mean, I know you, you're very busy. You're got a lot going on, but um, I had somebody ask, you know, for me, for you to kind of say as much as you can, or you want to say is just like, What's John Hines like just as a person, just outside of like being, you know, a hockey coach? Uh, awesome. Okay. Like absolutely awesome human being. Um, mm-hmm. He's, like I said, he's, he's really easy to, to work with. Um, but he's also, he's just like, he always makes everyone feel like they're a part of something. Right. Whether you're, an analyst or an intern. Like the one thing I really noticed um, was he treated the PR interns when I was with New Jersey, the same way that he treated the PR people. That's awesome. Like he treats everyone with respect and he expects that in himself. Like he's just from when you talk about like leadership Mm -hmm. and leading by example, that's when I think of when I think of John, like he's very easy to have a conversation with. He's super approachable um definitely makes everyone feel valued it's not it's very much not i'm the head coach therefore like i'm better if Mm -hmm. you didn't know he was the head coach and you just started meeting people in the organization you probably wouldn't know that he was the head coach right because he's just very much like a, a a key cog but then when he's got to use his voice to kind of put his foot down he'll do that too Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just in dealing with him, like very, a really reasonable human being, 
like in hockey it's very much like i need this now and like i need this or like i need you to do this there was like i think there was one time where i think he might have sent me like seven emails within an hour mm-hmm. asking for various things and the, the seventh email was just like just add this to your list i don't need it immediately <laughs> <laughs> like it's one of those things or i would i would tell him like hey this is what i'm working on and he would come and, and sit in my office and we'd talk about it and then he'd really do a good job of, of making me feel um valued and and we yeah it's one of those things where that's a unique trait specifically in hockey yeah i was gonna say that because again you know a lot of people may be listening and thinking like oh that's you know he's being a good human being that's you know is that something that should be really like that special and yeah with the current state of things yes definitely (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's i think your your um endorsement of him says a lot you know to me about the kind of the kind of person that he is because you know i've been pretty open about a lot of the things i disagree with with how the organization works i think nashville i'm not i need to make sure this isn't true this is still true but it's one point last year that they had no no females in their hockey ops department at all um they're definitely the only team (laughs) well right they're one of them but uh they you know they had they got caught trying to list a analytics position um, where it was basically, we need you to be available, do 40 hours a week, but also being available at games and before games. It was the job that Matt the... Pfeffer used to do. Right, but it was an internship. And right. they got they got called out on it pretty quickly, and they did it. And yeah, and they also, again, I, you know, it's funny when you talk about Matt Pfeffer, because, you know, he left Montreal when Subban left, and then he left Nashville. I think, uh, you know, I could understand. But so it's, it's I think the organization is is i like the organization overall but they have a lot of work they could do and you know again i'd like to see them embrace analytics a little bit more they're very hush hush on what they do with it but um that kind of leads me into what the last point i want to make is that you know somebody like you who's you know you're effective at, at communicating not just a bunch of numbers someone like person like me might do and be like here's my table of numbers like look here's um, my but you're, yeah you're really good at you know what like what what um, people, you know, that, that data-driven storytelling type of a thing. And even outside of that and, and, and what you've done with hockey and the relationship that you have with Coach Hines, um, you know, Nashville could do a whole lot more with off-the-ice stuff, with, with um, initiatives within the community. And, and something that you, you were got to be part of, at least for a little bit, with, in New Jersey, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something that I really, I really thought was just a great, great thing that you kind of spearheaded. Uh, yeah. So I, I have been decently public about my struggles with mental illness, um, mm-hmm. very much exacerbated while I was living in new country on my own as, right. as would generally happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't have any friends, obviously, when I moved down there. I made some. Um, my right. best friend is actually getting married this weekend down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started, I, I kind of used some of the friends I made outside of hockey ops. And, and it was a really good escape for me to not always have to talk about hockey. Right. And uh, one of the friends I made was the head of ticketing like in terms of initiatives, so like group ticketing and, and theme nights and all that. I just kind of asked him, I said, why don't we do a, 
a mental health awareness night. Like it's it's clearly something that other teams are doing. It's really good publicity. I think that, I mean, if we're going to focus on wanting to bring people in, aligning ourselves with that might not be the worst idea. Right. And he kind of looked at me like, I can't believe I haven't thought of this. Mm-hmm. And we got the ball rolling. I was intimately involved um, so much so that like I'd be called out of like, like I would stop doing my hockey ops work and ending up having to like stay much later and, and do it just so that I could be a part of meetings that yeah. surrounded this. And we ended up getting some really good initiatives on, on board and, and creating a panel that uh, I was originally supposed to be on. Huh. And obviously um, things happened in a different direction and I chose that I was just wasn't going to continue and, and things were going to go in a different direction and the organization was also going in a different direction. And so that night went off, um, actually, ironically, the, the day that I left for Germany. Right. And everything I heard about it afterwards, because I still keep in touch with these people, um, was that it was fantastic. And um, they definitely would change some things that I'm not going to make public, um, right. but that they, they want to do it again. And uh, for reasons that, cannot be made public it never happened again Uh which i personally don't think is the best look right right? you're talking about supporting mental health initiatives and donating and aligning yourselves with a cause that's super important and and one that gets kind of left by the wayside a little bit and then all of a sudden you're just like yeah we're not going to do that anymore like i feel like that doesn't send a great message yeah um but it's something that wherever i go i'm going to be a huge proponent of and um it was actually something that people within the organization, um, John was really good about it. Like he was super on board and um, supportive from that perspective. Um, right. A lot of the players loved the idea. Um, so it was kind of weird that it didn't continue. I mean, I can't really say I'm surprised, but right. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like didn't want to, I don't, I, I don't want you to have to to go into it as much as, as you don't, you know, I know that there are things that you either don't want to or can't say. And so I don't, I don't want to put, you know, push you too hard on it. But I mean, I think the reason I brought it up is because, you know, I know a lot of people are listening and want to talk or want to hear about, you know, Heinz has this connection to Hall, o. Taylor Hall and how he would be a great fit in Nashville. But Another reason is because of, of things like the story you just told and, you know, not just being a, a person who's who's well-versed in analytics and, and the hockey side of things, but, you know, wanting to do work like that, because that's something that this organization kind of desperately needs because, you know, they really turned that corner that year. They made the Stanley Cup run and became, you know, a real NHL hockey team, like a big team that, you know, people paid attention to. And, you know, they had PK Subban, which was great. And he spearheaded so much positive, positive um community uh work in nashville but they haven't really had that guy since and then you know we've got questionable decisions by by the organization as far as just you know players and and things like that and and so the other thing is yeah you know not just coach hines connection with hall but like his the connection that you had with him because you know you're you are the kind of person that if it was up to me i would love to have in, in in nashville in the organization to spearhead good um you know initiatives and and things like that because you know i see what they do for uh hockey is for everyone night and it's just kind of bare minimum um i think the biggest of the player supporters of that uh, the last couple years was austin watson which is a little 
you know, something you don't expect, but he was one of the, one of the few that would actually like go out and, and put a lot of it, put a lot into it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is just the fact that, you know, I, I, that this is the kind of people that you can be proud of working in an organization of, 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 of a team that you like. And, you know, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that Coach Hines, you know, hears about this at least, maybe not hearing me talk, but, um, and, and this, that, you know, brings back to his attention because some other team's going to probably snatch you up very soon. And I think it would be much better for Nashville if they, if they got on that, you know, quickly. I think it's one of those things. And, and I really appreciate that. Um, I would, I would say this, like I'm, I'm in school, um, mm-hmm. but John Hines is somebody that I would work for and with again, without a second thought. And I, there's maybe three people that I can say that about in hockey right now, mm-hmm. um, where if they called and said, I want to work with you again, I would say yes. And there just really wouldn't be a second thought. But one of the things that I learned growing up um, that my grandfather like instilled into my brain, just drilled it in there, mm-hmm. was if you have the power to do good, then you have a responsibility to do so. Yes. And so I kind of really took that and... I don't think that it was loved by everyone in New Jersey that I was trying to do things outside of my job description when it comes to like the community and whatever. Right. Um, Cause I would like try and volunteer at like the girls hockey school that they would run and, and things of that nature. Just cause I think that we need to have hockey has this rap of, of not actually being for everyone and rightfully so. Right. And I think we need more people that are willing to actually take tangible, positive steps to do things that move the game forward, um, whether it be in the community with the next generation or speaking out about things. Like, everyone can do it in their own way. But for me, the way I saw it was I was in a position where um, I wasn't allowed to speak publicly about hockey, but certainly could use where I was to, to make the game more accessible and and hopefully just a more healthy place for other people and I thought that that was something that I I should be doing and yeah. it's something that if I ever get hired again I'll continue to do because I think that we can definitely make hockey a better place for new fans and for people for minorities and for people that don't feel welcome I think mm-hmm. that we can do a, a good job of that. And I saw that like John did that with me, obviously stepping into my first hockey front office was, was pretty intimidating and yeah. he was definitely like the first person that made me feel comfortable. And so uh, that's something I'd continue to do. And, and I would work for John again, like in a heartbeat. And that's that, that. I mean, that's and that says a lot. I mean, it really does because you know this is hockey's a sport where that kind of thing is not is not normal. And so it's it's good to see that. And like you said, when you you know talk about like volunteering, doing the like the uh, youth like youth camps and stuff like that. I mean, imagine I've I've got two daughters, and you know I can imagine the fact you know if my my seven year old is doing this this hockey camp and she sees that somebody's down there working with her and they, you know, they, she asks, you know, well, what do you do? And like, Oh, I actually work for the team. Like that's one of those things that sticks with a kid, you know, and whether it be just like, you know, younger women or, or little kids like that, but just in any situation that you see somebody who looks like you um, that, you know, is not a person that, you know, it's not the basically what you see is white men in hockey, but you see somebody who's like you 
in a position doing something like that, that's, that's powerful. And so that's a great, that's a great thing that you, you do that did there. And I hope you get the chance to do in the future. If, even if it's not for Nashville, um, you know, it's, it's only a matter of time. And again, you're in school, but it just puts you on the system, you know, it's a development system. You'll come in and, you know, for the summer, do development camp and go back to school, stuff like that. Um, oh, I would do that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and let's plus, be fair. I'm in school, but if John called me and said, Hey, can you do this for me? The answer would not be no. Like, yeah. Like there would be, there's a few people that I would, I would do that for. And he's yeah. definitely one of them. I would also advise not coming over, like, Saying, not no, coming not over, the over the border right now yeah no it's I've you always, guys are safe up there yeah i've always wanted to come to nashville and i'm definitely going to come at some point yeah not anytime soon but not right now it's not really the safest Just no and we are it's not a city it's not a city um, that's taking very good uh responsibility with it so I, I, to be fair, like Toronto is an unmitigated disaster right now, but it's just less of an unmitigated disaster than <laughs> than what's Everywhere going else on here. south of the border. Yeah, but, like I don't leave my house or my apartment. Like no chance. Mm-hmm. I go no. home to see my parents, and that's about it. Yeah, it took a while before I was comfortable taking the girls to go see my parents, and they're only about forty five minutes away. Um, but yeah, and so well. Thank you so much for for coming on here. It's been uh, it's been awesome. I've learned a whole bunch. Um, you know, if if people want to hear uh, more from you or find anything that you've worked on, you know, where can they find you? Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, if you didn't see what happened this past weekend, uh, it was quite funny. I got a good kick I'm glad, out of it. I'm glad that you got a kick out of it because I did. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm doing a ton of research and I'll be putting out um, my papers. So I'm studying drafting and development inefficiencies as well as general hockey operations inefficiencies and like mm-hmm. using analytics as well as like interviewing to to do so. So I'll be putting out some work related to that in the next couple of years. Awesome. Um, I used to have the Staff and Graph podcast. It's on indefinite hiatus right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can definitely if you want to go back and listen to that, it's it's still there. Um but yeah, I'm basically on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've also got, you know, you can still see a bunch of the stuff that you did for The Athletic, right? Still, it's still there? Uh, yeah, you can definitely. So I used to write for The Athletic. You can uh, go see what I used to or what I've written for them in the past. But um, a lot of the stuff I just try and put out on Twitter in like a little thread. Right. Um, Or whatever, just because like I spend hours on hours reading and writing for my master's. I don't want to write a blog. Uh, thanks a lot. I really, I highly encourage you guys to, to, to follow Rachel. It's, she's a really great resource. Um, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. You can, you can follow our Twitter account at, for the, for the show at four pod, and you can follow me at Brian Baston, just spelled normal. And, um, you know, you can find my work and all the work of all the talented writers we have on staff at, on the four So that will do it for today. And we'll be back with another episode uh, later this week.